welcome to the Heart of Dating podcast. Hey, it's Kate. I'm so glad you could join us this week as we try to entangle the ever so ambiguous world of dating as a Christian. Over here on Heart of Dating, we get real as we answer some tough questions and uncover transformative ways to approach Christian dating. Oh, and you better believe we have some laughs along the way, because last time I checked, the struggle is hashtag real. You know what I'm saying? Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. What's up, everybody? Yeah, that's right. This is JJ, not Kate. She decided to take the day off, so I'm I'm just kidding. So fun fact, this episode was recorded as a mansode. It just hit so hard. It was so good that Kate and I made an executive decision to go ahead and make it one of the primary Heart of Dating episodes. So today we got... Josh Brumon. You guys might have seen him. He's all over Instagram. He's all over the Christian podcast world. He's really like on a tear specifically this year. And, uh, you know, I thought it would be fun to get him in. And one big thing as I read his bio is you've probably seen him as the porn star now pastor. And that's it. And I think it's great, but, you know, one thing that we talk about in the episode is there's so much more, you know, you're known by so much more of who you are today and what you have to offer than just a former title in your life. And so I think that's one thing that really excites me about today's episode and some different content that you'll see him in. You'll really find that he comes and really shares his heart and who he is today and what he's doing. And it is amazing. So before we jump in real quick, Y'all, you've already been giving us the five-star reviews. We're so, so grateful. It's already making a huge impact. So please continue to do that, especially if these episodes have been challenging you and they've been encouraging you. Go ahead and leave one of those five-star reviews. We're going to go ahead and send you guys to a freebie, which is the core values and non-negotiables freebie. Super exciting. That's under heartofdating.com slash resources. Really, really awesome. I personally never did core values until I got married or was engaged. And honestly, I kind of wish I had it. It's just such a helpful guide if you've never done that yet. And lastly, we got Josh Broom coming in. He was a, again, porn star, as we know, for about a six-year period of his life. He wasn't just a porn star. He was legitimately a top five male actor. He obtained fame, wealth, travel, became a millionaire, all to find out none of those things would fulfill him. They would never fill the emptiness in his heart. And so now, yes, he's been appearing on podcasts, TV shows, uh, the last five years of his life telling this story, his testimony. And while he's been doing that, he has been able to overcome depression, thoughts of suicide, emotional scars that have come with doing over a thousand pornographic films. And today he's healed through the life-giving power of Jesus and has spent the last decade replacing lies with God's truth. And uh, it's been so amazing. He's now married, has three uh, sons, and he's devoted his life to basically letting people know that and no matter how much your life feels over there's still hope and it's never too late to change and so i hope you guys really really enjoy this episode he is so transparent and vulnerable with his life uh it really really ministered to me so go ahead i love you guys enjoy the episode let's go what's up everybody i got the man I know you guys have seen everywhere tearing up Instagram and the podcast scene. Josh, how you doing, my man? 
Man, so good. I'm so glad that uh, we made this happen. So glad to be here. Um, JP and Sam Crawley are both like super close friends of mine. Uh, couldn't have said uh, greater things about you. So I'm, I'm just glad to be in the space. Uh, well, you know, to be fair, those guys would never say anything negative or mean about anybody, but they are honest. So <laughs> I appreciate it. I know them well. They they absolutely would, but they're incredible people. <laughs> they really are. And uh, dude, you know, so we ran that our conference with Sam this winter, and like, even if we had one person show up to the conference, it would have been worth it just to get to talk to Sam every day. He is he is so funny. Uh, so I love it. So uh, a lot of people have seen you kind of everywhere at this point. Uh, I think everybody has kind of heard your story. Um, do you want to real quick just let everybody know what you're doing today? Because I personally think it is super awesome. You just moved from Iowa. You're in a new city. Tell us a little bit about what Josh is up to today. Yeah, so uh, you know, I, I get the honor and privilege of serving on the executive team on a ministry called Share the King. Um, we are located in Dallas, Texas, uh, specifically McKinney, and uh, we've been here for about two months. My family and I, uh, we've been working with this organization for about 13 months. Uh, we had our first event last week. Uh, it was amazing. You know, we had uh, Tim Ross and John Brevere, JP, um, you know, s- several Sam, like several other people in the house, and it was an incredible event. And what I love about it is that we we wanted to pour into creatives. So uh, the space, it was creatives, um, people who were pastors and leaders, but really believe that digital is, is a way that God is reaching people. And it's an opportunity to disciple people um, on a digital landscape. That's a real thing that's really happening. And then there are organizations that want to fund the mission. They want to see that go forward. And they believe that digital is the way that we're going to see kingdom come. That's, that's the way that we're going to feel, uh, fulfill a great commission. It's so great, man. And and I love how it's just, we're finding a way back to the great commission, even in the digital landscape of say Instagram. So would you say that you basically, what you guys do is after somebody sees a piece of digital content and, you know, we have these Christian creators now with hundreds of thousands of followers they're basically saying, how can we get this person in the church? How can we get them plugged in? Yeah. So, I mean, in the same way that like Paul used the pen to edify people he wasn't in proximity to, God is using digital in the same way in the digital evangelists of today. Like you, to your point, they're reaching hundreds of thousands of people with Bible-based content. And we believe that, you know, if if there's more people than ever that exist on social media, then God is sending missionaries to fulfill his mission. So, uh, yeah, so in a very real way, there's there's this ecosystem of creators that are leading people to grow in their relationship with Jesus. And, you know, it's not just saying, hey, stay here. Hey, uh, we want to help you grow in your faith. And um, part of that is being plugged into a physical church community, whether it be a small group or um, being plugged into a church uh, so, yeah, so trying to meet people where they are and encourage them to grow. And part of that growth is taking practical next steps. I love it, man. And, you know, I think there might be a tendency to kind of like push back on that. But really, it should be, hey, if that ha- is how God is working in 2023 and yeah. in 2025, we're going to a metaverse. 
you know, sermon, you know, I'm kidding. <laughs> but you never know. I mean, at this point, it really might be part of like a VR, you know, metaverse sermon in a couple of years where you get to see somebody in person and have some kind of digital interaction. That really is the roadmap ahead. Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you, if you look at the words of Jesus, Jesus said, hey, it's better that I go so the Holy Spirit can come. And if you are someone who is following Jesus, the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you. You know, leading you, convicting you, conforming you to the person of Christ. So uh, why would we put limitations on a limitless God? And like, absolutely, yes, people can come to Christ on digital. Absolutely, yes, people can be discipled on digital. But at the same time, we're called to be in physical community. So I, I don't think it's either or. Yes. It's not It's not meant to be a, uh, a replacement for the church. It's actually a supplementation to the church. So it's not either or, it's both and. That's right. I love it, man. I love it. Well, it's so awesome to hear that you guys have transitioned from Iowa so well. We'll have to catch you down in Dallas when they're, when we're there. Um, so, you know, for today and really at this point, you know, what we kind of talked about on the pre-call and what all the listeners at this point, what I would say is we have a pretty good idea of Josh. I think the tagline I've seen the most is uh, from porn star to pastor. And like we talked about, people oftentimes assume that you just dropped it one day and the next day you picked up a mic <laughs> and you became a pastor. So for everyone listening, I think you know, what we're just going to say today is if you want a little bit more of like that total story, especially on the background, I think, you know, your interview with Alan Parr on YouTube was an hour and 10 minutes and it was exclusively focused on that background story. Would you say that's the best resource? Um, I would say yes, either that one. um, uh, I really enjoyed the interview that I did with Tim Ross on the basement. So I would say that interview with Alan Parr was phenomenal. Um, I, I, I love Alan. Uh, Tim Ross is a close, close friend of mine. Uh, the conversation that Tim and I had in the basement was uh, re- really a deep dive into a different uh, emotional aspect of my story uh-huh. and um, on uh, becoming something with, with Jonathan Paclata. Um, that I really enjoyed that conversation too. So it was a two-parter. Uh, and so like the first is like uh, BC and, yes. and the second episode was AD. So I really enjoyed how uh, they put that together. Have they released part two yet? Cause I was just watching that and they're like, yeah, so it was the following Monday. So okay, one great. Monday uh, and then the, the, yeah. So that, that, that episode went crazy. So it's, it's, uh, a lot, a lot, of, a lot of like really great feedback. Yeah, so. that's amazing. Well, I think um, like we're happy to point to those resources uh, because you know today really what we want to do is I really want to serve the people listening today, especially the men and women at this point. You know, one thing that really gets overlooked, and I think that JP talked about and that you've been talking about more is every time we talk about porn or masturbation, we have loads of women saying, "Hey, this I'm struggling with this too." And, you know, we recently saw a study where this was not in the church. Uh, it was a secular study, but it was 95% of men struggle with masturbation weekly. And it was 89% for women. And I'd never seen a study that showed it that closely linked together. Um, so, yeah, I would just say, um, I think in a very real way, historically, um, people have looked to the church to say, okay, what am I to do with my life? And I think in a, in a real way, if something is not discussed, 
uh, our only other option is to, you know, outsource that information to somewhere else. And, you know, we're, we, we have this, this struggle, this, you know, Romans 12 too, it's either I'm being conformed by the world or being transformed by the renewal of my mind. So uh, something is forming me. Uh, so we either can choose to speak about it from a biblical perspective. So the church needs to speak about it because of the, where the, where the church is silent, the world is educating people regardless of their follower of Jesus or not. Uh, because there's there's real questions that people have, and they want answers. And if the world is providing answers and the church is not, that's their only option. So I think um, the the you know the the massive uh, statistics that you were just shared, uh, and just how much people are viewing pornography, it's a byproduct of not having conversations because either they're uncomfortable or not equipped to do it. Or um, even more so, it's a struggle that people inside the church, even from a leadership standpoint, are having. Yes. And you're not willing to lead somewhere. Uh, you're not willing to lead someone in a direction that uh, you're not willing to go yourself. Well, it's so funny you say that because this one's a little bit more of an anecdotal point pointing towards leadership. Uh, it was a hotel that was talking about the demographics and the channel, uh, you know, statistics of like watching cable and their, and their rooms. They said every time they hosted a Christian conference for yeah. leaders and attendees, porn movies and adult rated content spiked, didn't yeah. increase, but spiked. And it's one of those things that you tell me, I just feel like, and one thing that we've been referencing lately is, it's we all know what the bar is. If the church does one thing, is they we are very, very clear on what the bar is of uh, what not to do. But I just feel like where the gap comes in, especially for me as a teenager and young man I'm with, is we're just so ill-equipped on how to deal with the failure. I know what the bar is. I just I'm so ashamed. And not only that, I just don't know how to deal with my failure besides these you know, this shame I'm carrying. And then I hear these bits and stits, you know, tidbits of Bible verses here and there, but there's really no expansive teaching. Yeah. I mean, that's why I, I, anytime I have the opportunity to do a talk, especially uh, if it's a secular talk, I'm like, Hey, uh, if you're struggling with pornography, I'm not here to condemn you. Mm -hmm. Like I don't want to create shame because it's shame and guilt that keeps you stuck. And it's the, it's the belief that I can't talk about this. And the very thing you don't talk about, it holds you captive. That's why like 2 Corinthians 10, 5, it's like you're, you're to take every thought captive. But here's the deal. Either the world and your thoughts are holding you captive or you are captain over your thoughts and you can make them obedient to Christ. But if you're not willing to, you know, express your struggle and, you know, say, Hey, you know, I, this is something I'm watching. This is something I'm struggling with. Uh, you, you're going to stay stuck where you are. And I think we haven't done a great job um, in, in the evangelical space. Like have done a great job of creating spaces where uh, you can talk about this without there being astronomical consequences. Yes, absolutely. So as we transition, you know, and what I love about you and what I told you before is, you know, whenever I see you talk, like it's so rare to get snapshots. I think JP does a good job, especially in his recent book. When when guys like you and leaders like you talk about your past, 
with absolute total transparency and absolute just godly and what we said was ruthless humility. Like I was this. I like JP in his book, you know, why I do, why do I do what I don't want to do? I just had to text him separately. I just said, Hey man, like the fact that you go into vivid detail about how you operated and your thought process is so rare sometimes, but it's amazing because it's so relatable for a young man or young woman who's struggling with it. And it also just, it levelizes the playing field. Like you are a broken man as Paul talked to his church is saying, I'm the chief of sinners. Like I'm the one here who is struggling. So I just want to commend you for that. And, you know, would you say it's totally on purpose? Oh, a hundred percent. I mean, and that's the reality, you know, like JP talks about in his book, you know, Romans seven, like, you know, uh, Paul found himself struggling, you know, to do the thing that he knew he ought to do. And then found himself wanting to do the very thing he hated. Mm -hmm. And that's the reality. Uh, you know, until glory, we're going through this sanctification process and we're all broken and we're all, you know, we've experienced some level of trauma. We've, we've experienced some level of mistrust. We've made mistakes. We've hurt people. We've done things that we knew uh, we shouldn't do. We've said things we shouldn't say. We think things um, that we shouldn't think, um, sometimes on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And my objective is perfection. Well, guess what? Uh, you're going to feel like a failure every single day because it's impossible. But in a very real way, God does want to progressively sanctify you. He wants you to be set apart from the man you used to be. So the way that you do that is you have to be radically honest. You know, you have to have this, you know, this, this transparency, this honesty. Uh, you need someone in your, in your life. I call them hot conversation. So honest, open, and transparent. You need someone in your life you can be honest, open, and transparent with. Um, because if you don't have that, you're held captive by your inability to be perfect. Yes. And you're frustrated because you feel like a failure and you continue to fail. And that failure becomes your identity and you operate out of your imperfection. And you make decisions that you never would have made if you wouldn't have looked at yourself in that way. Absolutely. And, you know, it might have been from your interview with Tim Ross, or it might have been another one, but he was actually talking about this point where you actually confess to God for repentance, but you confess amongst one another to break free from shame and actually heal from the addiction. Yeah. So it, it was so interesting. So it was, uh, it's pretty multifaceted because, you know, uh, so give my life to Jesus, you know, that was, you know, over eight years ago. And then I've been on this journey, but you know, there was genuine repentance, but the repentance was vague. And what I was still carrying with me was this wound, this father wound. I grew up um, without a father yet. He lived in the same town that I lived in. And because he lived in the same town that I lived in, in a very small town, I would see him. And as a young kid, um, it created curiosity, confusion. And then as I got older, it created frustration. And then, you know, me having this achiever personality, I thought, well, I got to prove my worth. I got to, you know, uh, validate myself. And I did that through conquest, you know. So initially it was it was scholastics and then it was sports and then it was acting and modeling and um, girls, you know, getting the girl that no one else could or getting most girls. Yep. And this figure went on and on and on and on. And it was this uh, this momentary high that the conquest 
fulfilled would bring me that brought me back to a really low low. But I say all that to say that at, in my heart of hearts, even though I repented for my sin, I was still putting the blame on my father. If my father would have been in my life, if my father would have been there, I never would have done X, Y, and Z. And I felt one night um, I was at, um, I was actually preaching here in Dallas and um, I felt incredibly convicted in the middle of the night. And I found myself uh, on my face in this hotel room and uh, just really like, like God, like what is it you want to tell me? And I just felt that I had never really been honest with God. And it was through me um, truly repenting, saying, God, all the things that I did, all the porn that I did, all, you know, the lies that I told, all the broken relationships, all the things that I did, it was upon my own volition. It wasn't someone else's fault. I made those decisions because God loves me enough to give me the free will to choose to do those things. So he, he allows me to choose him. He allows me to, to make these decisions. So uh, in, in that, you know, on that night, like I truly repented. And then uh, it's actually through a conversation with JP. I, I really started leaning to this even more where I'm speaking at places and I'm just getting this idea or just like, you know, thinking through what is my process of healing look like? And it was never, um, well, uh, I did this stuff and, you know, I was like messing with this girl and I knew I shouldn't have done that. Or like I went to this porn site and I saw some stuff and, you know, uh, you know what happened after that. It was the level of my honesty is going to equate to my level of healing. Yep. So I was like, okay, but so this is where we need to get to when you're going to have someone in your life where you can have those hot conversations, honest, open, and transparent. Hey, uh, last night I was scrolling on Instagram and I saw something, uh, this, this girl in a bathing suit. And then all of a sudden I ended up on this porn site. I looked at porn for probably an hour and I masturbated. I felt terrible afterwards. That is so different than, hey, man, I, I, I did that stuff again that I said I wouldn't do. Pray for me, bro. Um, it's like, hey, I, I want to put on the table all of my mess. That is where healing is found. And then, you know, in a, in a large room, you're saying, hey, you know, uh, if you are someone that is addicted to pornography, you've watched it in the last week, raise your hand. Hands go up. Who wants to be free from that? Everyone hands go up, you know? So it's like there, there's, uh, you know, this calling of, you know, you, you, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have this power and authority dwelling within you. And you find more of that when you're truly honest. And that is the type of repentance that leads to healing. That's the type of repentance that leads to deliverance from the thing that now is holding you in bondage. Because even though you're free from sin because of what Jesus has done on the cross, you know, John 1930, it's finished. But the enemy still wants to kill, steal, and destroy you. He wants to kill you. He wants to steal your calling. He wants to destroy your life. And if he can make you stay stuck where you are, dwelling in this shame, then he's going to use porn to do it. But if you say, hey, this is what I'm struggling with. I'm sick of it. I want to be free from this. 
that that that's where uh, the conversation is different. It, it is so different, and the the tenacity, and I would say just blunt courage out of just like I am so sick and tired like of this, and I've tried to be vague about it. I've tried to kind of confess. I've tried to kind of deal with it, and the difference of I am sick of this. I hate what this is doing to me. I hate how it's affecting my relationship with God. I hate how it affects and grieves the spirit and offends God and totally spits on the gift of what I've been given in that grace. You know, um, I think it was John Piper was talking about, you know, one of the differences of when you become a Christian and First uh, John, I think it's um, 8, you know, it's deceitful to admit that I will be without sin. Right. So I am going to sin. And there's these two types of sins, really. One is that I just reacted like my wife just pushed me over the edge and I reacted in anger in a way that I absolutely should not have and totally disrespected her. And then there's this second, like, and I think it's the most pertinent to pornography and masturbation, which is premeditated unrighteousness. I know. And I think that's what Paul is talking about. I know. Yeah, that this is bad. I yeah. know this is not good for me. I know where this road goes, and yet yeah, I, I still. And and I and I think you know, uh, any any time you want to change your life, you've got to do something radical to do it. Because you know, you you are a product of your habits, right? So you have uh, Thomas Kempis talks about how you you need to replace habit with habit. Yes. And, uh, if I've been in the habit of sin for 20 years, I can't just flip a switch. I mean, God can do anything. There's, there's been people who are radically healed um, from things, but there, there's this component of pornography and masturbation that is so deeply rooted. And it's a neurological issue. There, you've ingrained these neuro pathways and, you know, you re, you've, you know, highlighted your synapse with a dopamine hit so strong so many times. It's like riding a bike. I haven't rode a bike in 10 years, but I guarantee I can hop on one and ride one because the memory bank is there. And in the same way, I see this thing. I feel this certain way. I watch this porn. I experience this feeling. And then I have this release and it, this giant dopamine hit. My brain knows that. So breaking free of that pattern, you can't passively do it. Like if I want to change my diet, I need to not have cookies in my house. We want to be like, you know, we want to be like Joseph. We don't want to be like David. You know, David, you know, David, he he looked at something he shouldn't have seen. He looked again. And then instead of clearing his browser history, he kills Uriah. You know, he went to uh, he went to crazy means to cover up his sin. And then uh, Joseph, on the other hand, he had this interaction with Potiphar's wife and he ran and he didn't care what it cost him. So we have to be like that. And I say all that to say this. um, And I know this is a a controversial topic, but I think that um, if, if you're not willing to do something radical to have freedom, you're never truly going to find it. And if you're dabbling in, you know, watching movies that are provocative, if you're listening to music that's provocative, if you're if you're if you're lying to yourself, and you know, I know I know a lot of people disagree with this, but I stand pretty firm on this. 
There's no healthy practice of someone who is struggling with the addiction of pornography. Masturbation is not a good tool to use to remain pure. That, because because if we look at the gifts of the Spirit, so Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the last thing, self-control. So if we are called to utilize self-control and we're called to die to ourselves, Romans 12, 1 talks about we're to be a living sacrifice. What part of surrendering to my, my flesh and pleasing myself with my hand in a computer screen, there's this artificial... Um, response. There's this artificial um, intimacy that I'm creating. And all I'm doing is I'm training myself to be a bad spouse because I'm I'm, I'm forming a a five-minute relationship with my hand that doesn't have any practical application to me being a good spouse in the bedroom with my wife. Like literally, like you are training yourself to be a poor spouse in the bedroom. Absolutely. That's just 100% true. Absolutely. You know, we, and at this, in this season, we've gotten to talk extensively about porn and lust and masturbation. And, you know, the irony is that it teaches you everything that is the opposite of sex. It's all about your gratification. It's all about not working. It's all about indulging your lazy self to your desire. And it's all about you, which couldn't be the opposite of the sacrament of sex, which is the holy uh, you know, union and ritual of looking at someone else fully being focused on their pleasure and accepting them. And it's with one person instead of the variety. Yeah. And the, and the radical thing, you know, it, the controversial thing also is like, hey, guess what? Marriage is not about sex. Marriage is not about sex. Um, and, and the intimacy that you're desiring when you watch pornography, uh, it's it's a really terrible substitute. And that's why you find yourself going back so often. You're desiring intimacy with Christ and you're replacing time with God with an artificial, a counterfeit substitute in pornography. You're saying, no, God, I don't want to be in your presence. I don't want to be in awe of you. I'm going to satisfy this desire for you, and I've perverted this desire for you, and I'm going to consume pornography at the same time. That's why pornography consumption or addiction, it like I'm not addicted to porn. Like that, that like that's not the problem. The problem there's a desire that I have that's being unfulfilled, and I'm trying to replace it with something that's artificial. Like I love that. So there's this uh, there's this researcher. Uh, you can tell me to shut up at any time because I'll just no, keep this going. Is great, I love it. But there's this biologist. Uh, his last name's Tinbergen, and he won a Nobel Prize for this research around the supernatural stimulus. And he created these uh, these artificial butterflies. And he created you know a female butterfly, and it was you know it was bigger, it was brighter, it was better. And these male butterflies came, and they started trying to mate with this artificial butterfly. And guess what? It wasn't working. But they kept trying because it was so beautiful and it looked so great. And they tried over and over again, and they started ignoring the female butterflies. They started becoming you know aggro, and they were fighting one another. And they, slowly over time, they started to die out because their desire, they were insatiable 
available for something that doesn't, that doesn't exist. And that's what porn is, because that's why you go deeper and deeper and deeper into addiction. You start off looking at uh, a photograph and all of a sudden you're looking at some kind of hardcore like pornography that you never would have imagined that you would look at. And you're like, how did I get here? Yes. I have this insatiable appetite that continues to grow because I'm trying to satisfy something that this was never uh, supposed to meet those desires. Man, it's so good. And it it really is, in that sense, the common story we all share. I don't think I've ever heard a testimony of porn addiction that has started with the hardcore, with the exotic, with the... It's always a little... You know, I think, uh, what's his name? Louis Giglio, I think, wrote this book, um, Goliath Must Fall. And he equates sin to a cub and the den. And how serious we must take the little cubs, the little, because they grow into something so much more. And I think that's where we, you know, the minimization of that link to confession, that confession, that adulterated confession, the one we kind of sanitize that we're not truly honest is the same thing. We're kind of condoning and saying it was, it was bad, but it wasn't that bad. And the, the degree of how honest we are with our sin and our failures, the degree which we will seek healing. So I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head and the counterfeit God. And, you know, we had a friend on, his name's Matt Drogat. He's actually a porn recovery coach, which I wish we had more time because I wish I could get your opinion because I've seen these guys popping up everywhere. And my gut says half of these guys are great and half of these guys are just out to monetize an addiction, you know, uh, recovery. Um, But, you know, one thing that he talks about, which I love is, If you're addicted to pornography and masturbation, that in itself in a vacuum is a major issue. But the bigger issue is that the check engine lights for the health of your soul, the emotional health of your life, the spiritual health of your life should be blaring. Porn and the addiction is a problem, but it's much more of an indicator that there's a massive check engine light for intimacy in your life. Yeah, um, I, I love, uh, so Craig Rochelle went through this series and it's kind of the same thing with anxiety. It's like when you're struggling with anxiety, it's kind of a, a check engine light. It's like, Hey, uh, there's something that I need that I'm not getting. Uh, I need to take a self-assessment of, okay, why am I doing the things that I'm doing? Why am I operating that way? Uh, my, my friend Ben Bennett, uh, he, he talks about, you know, pornography struggle in, in this way, which is so intriguing. Like, what if you took a step back and you examined the type of pornography you were looking at and you were, you were realizing that, well, I'm having a God-given uh, emotion, but that emotion, the, the way that it, I'm perceiving it and the, the way that I'm acting out to, you know, to, to interact with the emotion I'm feeling it might be perverted in that uh, I, there's something that happened to me in my life that distorted the way that I see. Mm. If I can say, okay, uh, if I find myself watching X type of pornography on a regular basis, if I could take a step back and pull back the veil and see, well, I can actually identify an unmet desire and I can get to the root of what I'm actually desiring. Yes. And and, and, I mean, that's 
you know, that's the, the deep work that we have to do if we truly want to remove this from our life because there's there's trauma or lack that led you to, to, to end up where you end up. It's like you see something you shouldn't have seen. You're confused and you have these desires. And then you have this, you know, this unmet aspect of your life that you truly need as a human being or there was trauma that happened to you, at whether – uh, like you caused it, like for the most part, in my case, like I caused a lot of the trauma, but it was trauma nonetheless. And it impacted me mentally and emotionally yes. and it impacted the way that I interacted with the world. So for me to get free from it, it's like there, there was there was a lot of things I had to do. But to your point a few minutes ago, I've got to get to a point where I have to say this is not good for me. And this is detrimental to everyone that's around me. Because it impacts the way that I see myself and it impacts the way that I see others. So if I see people on a screen as a product, then I'm going to abuse them like an object. I'm going to see I'm going to see friendships as transactional. You know, if you haven't done something for me in a while, why would I respond to your text or your call? Why would I help you move? You haven't done anything for me lately. You know, uh, re- like these these relationships you have, you know, like boyfriend, girlfriend, these, you know, these dating relationships. Well, if you're not meeting my need, then you must not care about me. Mm-hmm. And, and then we get into a marriage and then all of a sudden I have all these like perversions that I'm bringing into the bedroom and I'm putting my expectations on you to meet these desires that I was never meant to have. I have these desires that I was never desired. I was not designed to have an appetite for things that I have an appetite for. And I cannot put this burden on my spouse to, you know, to please me in a way that is outside the realms of what they might be comfortable with. But they are not called to please my perversions. That's just not true. Well, you know, and it's so it's so fatally wrong, and especially in terms of theology, because you've completely reduced both parties. Your spouse is not a person created in God's image. Who is your spouse that you are devoted to loving and caring for? Your spouse has been reduced to an object as a means to an end to fulfill your perverted desire. And you've also reduced yourself. You know, one thing that we talk about extensively uh, in one of our last episodes was this idea of lust and modesty and men it's just men it's just every young man's battle they can't help it they yeah. can't help it they yeah. you know they we just it's part of our dna and you reduce men i i love men and i love serving men i love showing men the value that's on their life and they're so much greater than just a desire it's not a need it's a physical desire that has encapsulated them that you do have power over you're not an animal you're not just some beast who just can't help himself. You totally are. That's the very thing that separates us from other animals, the the conscious mind and our ability to make decisions. Mm-hmm. You know, and and yeah, and then uh, but for me, you know, just thinking like, you know, what, what would I tell someone who is struggling with pornography? It's like I'm sick of it. I keep going back to it. I'm done. How did you get free from it? Um, so for me, uh, I was highly promiscuous before I was in the the porn industry. Obviously, you know, very promiscuous in the porn industry. Um, so for you know, six years in the porn industry, uh, ten like ten years of my life, you know, being sexually active before that, 
um, maybe not quite that long, but you know, a significant amount of time, most of my life being sexually active, uh, and then I give my life to Jesus. Okay, so so okay, now what? You know, how did the porn like did the porn addiction go away? No. Um, did did the inappropriate thoughts go away? No, they they, they didn't. Uh, but I was convicted of them. So so that's the, so that's the, the the first thing you need to know. Like, there, yes, Romans eight one is true. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But the Holy Spirit, part of the Holy Spirit's job, God within you, is to provide you with correction. Yes, conviction is very healthy. Condemnation is very unhealthy. It will actually keep you stuck where you are. But a conviction is appropriate. When I feel convicted, it's an opportunity for me to bring to the Father what I'm struggling with and to people the things that I'm struggling with. So for me, what that transition looked like was I had to get someone in my life that was not, you know, that was willing to not pat me on my back, you know, because I had had a lot of people who patted me on my back while I was on my way to hell. So So I had to change my circle. So I had to get someone in my life that would tell me the truth. They would stab me in the front, right? Um, I needed someone that would say, hey, uh, what you're thinking and what you're doing, it doesn't align with the person that you said you want to become. The direction that you said you don't, that you want to go, uh, what you're doing and what you're telling me you're thinking, that doesn't align with that. So number one, I have to realize that pornography hurts me and it hurts everyone I love because if you don't believe that, you'll justify it. And then secondly, I've got to check, you know, I've got to take inventory of my life. I cannot be obedient until I'm self-aware. I cannot be obedient until I'm self-aware. And what I mean by that is if there's something in front of me that I keep tripping on, until I see it, I'm going to keep tripping over it over and over and over again. Yes. So the way that I create the self-awareness is I need to take inventory of my life. Who am I following on social media? Does this, are these people, is it in alignment with where I want to go in my life or does it lead me to stumble? Okay. Well, if it leads, if it does, if it's not benefiting me, I have to unfollow those people. Uh, maybe, maybe I need to, you know, delete the app. Now look at how I live my life or are the places that I play and how I conduct my life on a regular basis. Do I put myself in situations that lead me into temptation or, or put me around people who are influencing me in the wrong way? I have to remove those things from my life. So I have to take inventory so that I can be self-aware. And like Paul talks about in Romans 7, I am imperfect and I'm going to desire to do the wrong thing. Like you are not free from the desire of sin. You will always continue to be selfish greedy to some degree, but because you have the Holy Spirit within you, there's that conviction and you can choose to not do the thing you want to do. That's not easy. That's not easy. It's not easy. So I have to put boundaries in my life. So what that looks like is I want to, whatever it is that I want to do, again, if I don't want cookies in the, if I don't want cookies, you know, to be consumed by me, by if I don't want to eat cookies, I can't have them in the house. You know, or I need to put a lock on the pantry or a passcode on my phone or I need to download Covenant Eyes or whatever kind of app. I need something where I'm going to have to confront it. I'm going to say, okay, here's this boundary. 
I'm an, I'm an intelligent being, so I can find a way around that boundary. But what a boundary does, it causes me to ask myself the question, do I want to remove this thing that I put in my way to do the thing that I said I didn't want to do? Well, let me let me ask you this, because here's my big thing is this. Like, let's take the cookie example. I yeah. I believe that we have a tendency to skip the heart, to skip the Second Corinthians seven ten, which we'll talk to, and we'll just say, "Hey, let's remove the cookies. Let's install these great boundaries. Let's get really, really, really practical as men. This is like our kryptonite. Like, give me that practical one, two, three, so I can modify my behavior." And we never tackle the root. We never get to the heart of what godly sorrow means. And so is there a way? And what I think is, you know, we live in a world that's going to keep like if we want to, I think if we want to keep trying to change the world (laughs) to make it less pervert, like good luck, like it's just going to keep day by day getting worse. Those cookies are going to be in the kitchen at times, whether you like it or not. So how do as a, a young man or a woman get to a place and what, and you touched on this, what's the difference between conviction and shame? What's the difference between I, I don't like the consequences for my life and this, this grievously offended God and the spirit and everyone around me? What is the second Corinthians 710 idea? Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, sim- simply put, shame is from Satan and repentance is a gift of God. Mm. So shame is not from God. So if I feel shame, Satan is trying to keep me stuck where I am. But if I'm in love with Jesus, not, not that I like the idea of Jesus, you know, not the you know, the, the seven ounce, you know, two pound baby Jesus, uh, you know, like not that I like the idea of Jesus, but I believe that God came into this world wrapped in flesh and he lived a perfect life and he was tortured and died for me so that I can be reconciled to God so that I could be forgiven of my sin. God loves me that much. And there's a creator that created me and has a plan for my life that desires to know me, but I'm called to serve the very existence. The reason that I'm alive is to love God, to, to, well, to know God, to love God and to serve God, to bring him glory. That is the only reason I have breath in my lungs. So if that is true of God, and he loves me desperately, and my life exists to serve him, if I have an adoration for him, if I'm in awe of him, if I have a reverence from him, then John 14, 15 makes sense. Because John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. It's not, if you love me, you'll do what I say. If you love me, you'll trust that I have a better plan for your life than you do. I created you and I want to keep you from harm. That's why Romans 2, 4 talks about it's God's love and his kindness that leads us to repentance. So good. 
the verse that we were talking about, um, it's, it's, you know, talking about this, this sorrow. So verses nine and 10. So second, second Corinthians seven, nine and 10. Uh, now I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurts you, but because the pain caused you to repent and change your ways. It was the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation or deliverance. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. See, repentance is, you know, a, a, a Greek terminology talking about logistics. It's talking about a 180 degree turn away. And, you know, if you're in a boat, you just don't turn the boat and sit there. You turn the boat and you go in a different direction away from where you used to be. And that's what repentance is. You're saying, God, I trust that the way that I'm moving, the way that I'm living, it's to lead towards death, destruction, hurt, pain, addiction, uh, divorce, uh, me, you know, the, the reality of pornography, man, it's like, you know, I was in it and it's like, I'm sick looking back at the stuff that I used to do. You know, just, just knowing that pornography is contributing to. So again, I'm, I'm, if, if you're hearing this and you're addicted to porn, I love you. Mm. I love you. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm not trying to make you feel ashamed. I desperately want you to be free because this is keeping you from living the life that you could be living. The, the shame and the guilt and the time that you're losing and the relationships that you don't have and the passions that you're not pursuing and the the opportunities that you're not chasing after because you feel like you couldn't because you're disqualified, it's untrue. So I say this with love, but pornography is contributing to sex trafficking. It's contributing to rape culture. They're like the, the most popular types of pornography. It identifies the, the identity crisis that we're having in this world and it monopolizes on it. You're, you, the, 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 the babysitter stuff and the stuff that's so popular, it's not teen porn. They're dressing people up in pigtails and stockings. Teenagers don't dress like that. So it's like you got to wake up and see, man, this is so twisted and they're robbing you of the life that you could be living. And if you could just open your eyes to the brokenness that you're seeing, because the people who are on that screen, they're broken and hurt and they're trapped in this world of chaos. And I, I tr just trust me, I was there. Every single one of those people, they don't want to be there. They want out of that chaos. They want out of that brokenness. And sure, they might say, well, this is who I am. This is what I do. I love it. And what else are you to say? If this is who you believe you are and you feel like you're stuck doing this forever, what are you to say? You don't have any other choice but to say that you like what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You love where you are. Because the reality of the the honest answer, yeah, means you have to cope with the reality that you are not happy, that you are miserable. And I, I, you know, Josh, I think first of all, that was 
I think men and women, especially young men and young women, are so desperate to hear that message. Yeah, there's um, if if you have any temptation in your life regarding pornography at all, I would I would suggest you not watch this. Um, but if if you're someone who wants to to really understand how evil and dark pornography is, um, Exodus Cry they produced a brilliant documentary and there's the there's a there's a poor part of the documentary called barely legal and they're they're in the studio and they're, they're looking at the wardrobe that they're dressing these girls in you know there's and there's you know there's stockings and there's there's you know they're dressing them up like girls that you would see that are nine ten years old and so you're 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 it's planting a seed of pedophilia and man it's it's so it breaks my heart because the thing is like when you are entrapped in darkness you can't see the light for me you know that there was a time in my life where i was on you know i was on those sets where people were celebrating that it was someone's 18th birthday and they were doing their first scene like and that was just a normal part of my week not even thinking about, well, how did that 18-year-old get there? Well, there had to be many conversations that led up to her being there on her 18th birthday. And then in, and then in retrospect, having conversations with people who had been in that space, they've been trafficked for years. They've been manipulated for years. And uh, it just makes it, – it just breaks my heart um, who is someone who can see – the depravity and knowing that I participated in it, um, and you know, someone who's you know, I'm I'm a father. I, I you know I lead different ministries and just just being able to see how dark and destructive that was back then, um, and the fact that that's not it's it, it's a it's a glimmer of how tumultuous this is now it's it's so much worse it's so much worse so i mean i i just say all that to say man gosh if we were to wake up and understand um what we were doing we wouldn't desire it and, and that's and that's how you get free from it man when when you when you get to a place where it's like gosh uh i'm i'm in love with jesus and i'm satisfied with him if i say no to this over and over and over again, eventually it's going to become less advertising because this is actually satisfying. Right. And it's it's the battle of those two desires. And I think not only does the desire to just run and pursue Jesus, you know, fill your mind with things that are good, that are wise, that are pure. And it's also just the reality of what the other desire is. And I was going to ask you, I think one of the best things that because, you know, watching your YouTube videos, watching these interviews there is an element in the uh, the documentary you just listed. There is a reality where we put on this like scientific, like I'm going to watch this documentary hat and just learn. And it's entertainment in a sense of it fills time. It's really interesting and you can't believe it. But the second that we just stop and say, no, this is real life. This is a mat. Hearing this information should shatter my heart. And if I consume this information, and it doesn't, 
that for me is just an apathetic signal of just numbness in my soul. And so I would ask you, you know, like, is that why it's so important to to learn about the foundation and the reality of the porn industry, not just for the ones who struggle with porn, but the ones who are just kind of like bystanders? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm a I'm a parent of, th- of three boys and I tell my son, hey, don't touch the stove. It's hot. It will burn you. He doesn't touch. He doesn't touch the stove. He doesn't know if the stove will burn him or not because he trusts me. So why not protect yourself from something that's proven to hurt so many people? Mm-hmm. And then you get the joy of, you know, my oldest son telling his little brother, "Hey, don't touch that. You'll get burned." Um, yeah, man. So that's. That's it. And then for me, a lot of people ask, like, are you going into the industry and trying to save everyone? When I first get, when I first gave my life to Christ, like I had that like um, yes. this uh, this misappropriated zeal where I'm like, I'm going to go and save everyone from the industry. And for me, I, I wasn't healed. Um, I wasn't equipped. And it actually caused me more harm than good. And I had, luckily I had people in my life saying, hey. Um, I, I, I appreciate the intent, but you're like, you're not in a place where you can do that and it'd be healthy for you because it's actually very triggering to me to be having conversations with those people, um, following them on social media and seeing the content that we're posting. Um, even though I was trying to do a good thing, um, you know, it, it was detrimental for me, but what has happened instead is, you know, I've been out of the industry for over 10 years and um, probably 50 people at this point have left the industry specifically um, after reaching out to me and saying, hey, how did you get what you have? And, and, and what they mean by that is, so for me, I had made a plan to take my life. Um, you know, the, my, my last day in the industry after I did my last scene, I made a plan to take my life. And, and I was going to do that because I believed with 100% certainty that, um, like, sure, I might would get, I could get married to someone, but I would never find a wife. Um, I, sure, I could get someone pregnant, but I, I didn't have the capacity to be a father. Um, for me, if I can't be creative, in a way that impacts people in a positive way, um, I'm, I'm miserable. So who is going to allow me to lead and who's going to allow me to, to do that? No one respects me. I'll never have anyone's respect again. So if, if all those things are the things that I long for most and I could never do them, why would I ever want to live? Mm. And um, thankfully I had this interaction with a bank teller that, um, did something as simple as calling me by name and asking me if I was okay. And, you know, I, I, I pushed everyone in my life away that knew me, that truly knew me. Um, because that's what happens. You know, people love you. They tell you the truth and people were telling me, Hey, Joshua, I love you, but you're better than this. And that meant if I, if I believe that to be true, then I was, I was I would need to make a change in my life or I'm going to distance myself from that person. I did that from 
every single person, my family, my friends, everyone. So I'm sitting in this bank ready to take my life. And this person just simply calls out my name and I hadn't heard my name in over a year. And it shattered this plausible reality that I had created. And I ran for my life. Um, but, but what I found was the latter to be true. Um, because I gave my life to Jesus and I was given a new heart, a new mind, new desires, um, actually uh, unlocked gifts, unlocked things that I didn't even know I was necessarily good at. And started leading in a capacity that I didn't think possible and met someone who said, hey, uh, guess what? You're not your behavior. You're not the worst thing you've ever done. You're not the best thing you'll ever do. That's not how you define yourself. God defines who you are. The author of life gets to make that decision, not you. And it was, I was confronted with, you know, that's the scary thing about a lie. If you believe a lie to be true, it's true to you. Mm. So she she calls me out and um, and now all of a sudden, you know, I find myself eight years later, I, you know, married for seven years. I have three kids uh, and lead a ministry next year. Um, you know, my, my, my book's coming out. I've written a book. Um, I'm, I'm planting a church next year. Uh, have a theological, you know, education. Uh, people respect me. Um, I have success in my life doing things that I love. And it's not about dollars and cents. Like every day when I wake up, I'm excited to live my life because of the things that God has put in it. And I didn't think any of that was possible. And it's possible for any and everyone. So what's happened is they look at my life and like, how did you get that? How did you get to wake up every day and not be humiliated because of the things that you've done? And there's healing and freedom and abundance on the other side of Christ. And 50 people have left the industry because of my life, not because of my words. You know, if that's just, if that's not hope, I don't know what is. Yeah. And that's my wife's name. <laughs> my wife's name is Hope. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. And it, it uh, I, I think just for any believer or even, you know, especially, you know, non-believer hearing that, that, that is the hope on earth that while on earth, we get some semblance of transformation, some semblance. And I think culturally we're so sick and tired of cultural Christianity that is in, do this and don't do this. That has no semblance of what you just shared. I wanted to take my life. I was so stuck in shame. I wanted it to just be over and fast forward 10 years. And you have a life that you never thought was even possible, was even possible. So, man, I just want to say, I, I admire you. I just, you know, you, the picture that comes to my mind is like, you just put yourself up on the chopping block of humility. Like I will be as transparent as I need to be as honest as I need to be. If that means, cause I think the teaching about, you know, self-control beating pornography, you know, victory, like it can get so practical. It can get so like, this is the right answer that we, we, if it's not given and Hey bro, I love you period. And I want so much more for you. 
I just think it gets lost. Like we can go look up practical teaching all day, but we need leaders who say, I love you. And there's so much more for you. And here's how. So I think you just champion that. I just, I think Holy Spirit ministers when you speak, you just carry that grace of, you know, ability to relate and call people out of their pain. And I think, you know, you have so much empathy, you know, you do such an amazing job championing even the porn actors and actresses themselves speaking on their behalf. And even that just like desire of knowing what they're going through. You have an awesome quote and we can wrap on this is, you know, maybe that person has committed suicide and what you're watching is the very brokenness that led them to believe that their life was so meaningless that they would rather die than live. And you are taking a momentary pleasure in that very pain. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, turn off the lights. Like it just. Yeah. And and the, and the sad thing is, is when that does happen, the porn industry makes a best of as a tribute and really they leverage their suicide to monetize off of it. And again, you, you contribute to that. So the porn industry, hundred billion dollar industry with a B fueled by viewership. So um, you know, 30 people that I knew their real names. I knew where they were really from, from, uh, knew their laugh, you know, spent time with them. Uh, 30 people that were in the industry over the last 10 years have either died of suicide or overdose. And all of those movies are still online. And, um, many of those people, when they died, they made, um, tributes of and continue to release more content of and um it's sad it's incredibly sad it's um it's heart-wrenching and um i just think it when we hear information about this like a good example is marital consent you know this has become a very quickly discussed topic it should only take one story of us men us women hearing a story of marital abuse and violation of consent first to say, Hey, we want, it might not be you who I'm talking to directly, but we want this to be so clear and transparent that it's never a question. And when you bring up the facts and the reality of what this industry is and what these documentaries are doing, we don't have a choice to not just bystand and say, that's an addiction. Like there is a, an objective now, like, are we really going to let this fly under a watch and make sure that people, Christian or not, understand what they're consuming and what they're partaking and what they're what they are giving their time and money to. So I think you just do an amazing job of championing that. And and Josh, I just want to say it's an honor for us to talk. Thank you so much. You gave us an hour of your time. Uh, it went by so fast. So we look forward to continuing to hear from you. I'm so happy that we got to serve people well. And I think you just did such an awesome job of loving people, ironically, digitally through a podcast. And so where can, where should people go from this episode? Where can they get plugged in? Yeah, so uh, the most uh, consistent place that I am right now is Instagram. So I am Joshua Broom um, on uh, Instagram and TikTok, but Instagram is the place that I'm at the most. Uh, my website is 
joshuabroom.me. But in the in the next few months, I've I've got a lot of cool stuff coming out. But um, yeah, so there's there's a project that we've been working on for quite some time called Unmentionable, and uh, it's it's you know it's ironically titled where you know the the thing that we struggle to mention often uh, holds us you know in bondage. But when we mention the unmentionable thing, there's actually freedom on the other side of that. But it's a deep dive into my story um, all the way back to uh, where I grew up into South Carolina. We went back into Hollywood and uh, visited some of the places that I used to be. Um, it was really a, a, a really like emotional but deep experience. But it's an eight part um, podcast that um, in, in the next month we're going to decide exactly when we're going to launch it. But um, it will be this year. Bro, I can't wait. I can't wait. It sounds so amazing. So keep us updated. That sounds like it's going to be awesome. Super, super awesome. So we appreciate you, man. Thank you so much for coming on today. And for the listeners, I hope it blessed you and served you and that you, you all know that Josh and I both love you guys so much. Have a wonderful day. The Heart of Dating podcast is created by Kate Warman. It is a part of the Converge podcast network. Our incredible editor is the one and only Scott Caro. Our theme music was developed by the amazing Christian Ledoux. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, or if you've never written us a review or ranked us on iTunes, we'd encourage you to do so because it helps us so much to get this podcast into more people's ears. We launch our podcast each and every week on Wednesday. So we'll see you next week. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.